Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the Integrated Advisors Network Journey to Independence podcast series. It's a conversation for advisors considering independence with advisors who have already made the leap. I'm your host, Linda Picks, co-founder and chief relationship officer for Integrated Advisors Network. Integrated is a registered investment advisor representing a nationwide network of more than 30 advisory practices with over 2.7 billion in asset center management. The integrated platform empowers network advisors with the freedom to focus on their clients and 100% ownership of their business. At Integrated, our tagline is ownership without being on your own. This podcast is available on our website, integratedadvisorsnetwork.com, our social media outlets, as well as Spotify and Apple Podcasts and other major podcast platforms. If you know other advisors like yourself who may benefit from this series, please feel free to share it. Joining me today on this podcast is my partner and the president of Integrated, Jason Inglis. There's a lot to discuss, so let's get started. One thing that I've really enjoyed about this conversation that we have with Eric today is he's got great insight on all aspects of the journey to independence. He's got some great mentors that he's worked with over the years. Uh, including his father, Herb. He's got, you know, his wife, Christine, is part of their practice. I thought it was really interesting that he really grew up in the industry, you know, so he kind of reminds me of, of one of those kids who's, uh, you know, his, his dad was a baseball player and he grew up in the dugout. And exactly. I think, exactly. right? Yeah. And I think, I think it gives you some insight because he really was, he's a student of the game, if you will. He's a student of financial services. He spends a lot of his time and energy trying to get better, um, which I think is a hallmark of, of, of great advisors. You know, is their, their ability to learn from people, to not think they know everything. You know, there's, there's a tendency if you grow up in the industry to think that you know everything and, and that, you know, you're, you're, the, you're the anointed one. But I think Eric comes at it very, very humbly and really is open to specifically communication. I thought he, he really hit that home during the interview. He, he seems like a great communicator. He, he did. And, and, and he is. And, you know, like I said, like I say in the interview, I mean, we're, we've been lucky enough to, you know, to have financial foundations as, as one of our first advisors that joined the independent, the integrated platform. Right. Um, so, you know, I feel, feel honored that, you know, the, these firms have chosen integrated to be their, their partner in the, in the independent space. And, you know, I think that resonates with the staff that he's got and their roles and responsibilities within the firm. And one thing he says, you know, check yourself at the door when you come in because yeah, check your ego. Our practice, you're going to do, we're not going to ask you to do anything that we wouldn't do. And mm-hmm. they're, they're definitely a, a testament to um, teamwork and communication. And I think you'll, I think you'll hear that in the, uh, in the interview with, with Eric. So you know, with that being said, we hope that you'll enjoy listening to the interview with Eric of Financial Foundations. So here we go. Every advisor dreams of owning their own practice and controlling their destiny. At Integrated, we make that dream a reality. Our goal is to provide our listeners with real stories from real advisors who are nice enough to share their real life journey to independence. And today we're lucky enough to sit down with one of those real life advisors, and that's Eric Mushaw. Eric has been with Financial Foundations for over 20 years. 
He's a graduate of University of Maryland College Park with a Bachelor of Arts degree in economics. Eric collaborates with his clients to create comprehensive wealth management plans that work within their financial means and goals. As an advisor, he's trained in federal benefits. So Eric is able to more effectively provide applicable recommendations and advice to current and former federal employees. The team at FFI also specializes in helping owners of small businesses, especially in auto repair, to provide customized retirement plans to meet their personal and business needs. Eric enjoys spending time with his family and his friends and his loved ones. He's a huge Baltimore sports teams fan and of the University of Maryland, of course. So it's not uncommon to, for him to travel to away games to support his teams. He also enjoys various activities in the outdoors, which keep him active all year round. So thank you for joining us today, Eric. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast. That's my pleasure. Glad to help. Let's start at the beginning here, Eric. I just want you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got into the industry. So uh, really got into it because of my father's involvement in it. He got into this space, I would say, in the late 80s. And that was now, when sort you say, of a, when you say space, what do you mean? The financial services industry. I'll start oh, okay. with. Yeah, we were fortunate enough to where our cousins, for lack of a better term, were already in the industry. And kind of the gentleman who was his mentor started off with what would have been financial planning back in the 50s, where it was in the form of you know insurance strategy. Then it was mutual funds in the 70s, individual stocks and such. But um, the nice thing about uh, this particular cousin who is about uh, 20 years dad's senior, he also had a son as well. And they developed their own father-son shop that dad was invited to in the late 80s. Prior to then, he was actually a, a food consultant uh, trainer. And you might not realize the uh, parallels there, but um, in the 70s, he was a, a professional chef, got around the country a lot. And then, you know, as he started to get a family in the 80s, uh, his one of his skill sets was being able to sell just the old, you know, Zig Ziglar, Tom Hopkins, all the ones that, you know, people in our space had, had heard about uh, through the years. And he would go out and train food distributors on how to sell to chefs, which chefs are a group of very, very arrogant pompous, confident <laughs> individuals. So to be able to sell them is unique. And mm -hmm. that's how he got, got into it was a cousin identifying that, you know, he could talk to people. He knew how to do associations to make him likable and trust him. And one of the things my father always focused on is that, you know, there are two reasons that, that people work with you. They like you and they trust you. And those were just some of the things that he really wanted to keep simple as he started his career. And fortunately, our cousins were in a space where they weren't in the insurance world. They weren't in the wirehouse space. They were with an independent broker dealer uh, from my father's start. And their focus was on education. Uh, they did seminars at different workplaces, whether it was Johns Hopkins uh, University or public seminars or to teachers and things like that. And that was how they sort of built their individual practices. The old model of being each rep or advisor would have their own client base. I started to get involved in the uh, late 90s as somebody who after school would show up at wherever the seminars would be, uh, set them up, you know, take registration, make sure that everything ran smoothly during it and you know get home on school nights around you know 9.30 and still have to get homework done and whatnot. Over the summers, I'd work in the office, uh, doing administrative things, and just learning the paperwork. Um, 
dad was a stickler for details because if, you know, it might take you a little longer to do an application or do the forms, but if they were done right, you would never have to go back. And the client would never know how long you're taking to actually fill them out if you're doing things behind the scenes. So they would recognize mistakes. So it was very important to him to make sure that everything was kind of done right uh, the first time around. And when I was in college, I would spend more time there uh, due to my schedule. The office is only about an hour away from Maryland. So I was able to get in there two days a week uh, for those full-time days. And the focus there was having me, having me get involved with the marketing and the bookkeeping. Uh, with his experience in the food service industry, he wanted to make sure that you can't run a business unless you know the numbers. Uh, you know, anybody who runs a restaurant, it's very important. You know, what's your overhead going to be on each individual meal? How are you going to make sure that, you know, with the marketing strategies that are out there, that you're not doing anything to hurt yourself, only to help yourself? So that's where he had me focus before I was ever doing any type of selling. And as I was going through college, I would take on these roles of the marketing and the bookkeeping, working with a few other people and getting licensed along the way. The benefit looking back at the time, and I didn't realize it, was that I was right in the middle of the, the downturn from 2000 to 2002. And that was a three-year, 50% drop in the market. And I was doing a lot more client phone calls than what I was doing, not in the, in the aspect of giving advice as much as it was just being a sounding board and taking instructions to relay to Herb and his partner at the time. Uh, but it was a very unique time to be in the industry, not practicing and not having to worry about my own book, uh, which I got to do that level of a uh, character building, as I call it, during the financial crisis in 2008. So yeah. I don't look at it as a negative as much as it is, you know, learning, getting a positive out of a bad situation. So that that's kind of a quick recap on how I got started and how he got started. Wow, that's a great story. Um, I, I think that it sounds like he has been quite the mentor for you to really be able to you know, kind of step into his shoes and be able to continue with the practice without, you know, without him being, you know, so much of an active role, if you will. <laughs> um, hey, so I want to go back to something real quick. I know that um, this is not something that I that I see very often in somebody's in somebody's bio or kind of their background, but the automotive repair business. How did mm -hmm. that come about? How did, uh, you know, because I was expecting you to say something about Herb, your, your dad, coming from that side of the field and not necessarily the uh, selling to chefs. <laughs> so so that's kind of a unique twist on things. How did, how, how did that, what, what's the story there? <laughs> yeah, so dad, by his own admission, will tell you never give him a tool, if, if you know, especially <laughs> when it comes to an engine. Uh, that actually came about because, you know, as I, I tried to allude to earlier, our, the business is about relationships and we have very, very good relationships on the, um, with other clients, professional uh, that they work with. One of them is an accounting firm that's very well located um, in town here for our, um, for our benefit. And we started to get some similar clients together and they actually have a niche in the auto repair space as well. And it's, it's one of those situations where the auto repair shop owner is kind of unique in that they, they know how to deal with people. They deal with disgruntled customers all the time. They also need to deal with disgruntled employees because if you think about the trade that they're in, there's a lot of turnover in that. They don't like debt. They have to run very, very good on the margin side. So the accounting firm that that we uh, have a good relationship with actually works with these uh, these repair shops in order to say, hey, you, you have a garage, you have a shop, let's turn it into a business. 
Let's turn it into something that you can run. And then they turn those relationships over to us and say, okay, we've, we've got them with this machine now. You start doing the planning for them personally, professionally, and things of that nature. So that's really how that developed. It was just one of the relationships that we had gotten along the way. Um, so between that and the federal benefit space, we're kind of feel like we're in a, a unique niche here locally. The auto repair shop is kind of a nationwide thing. The federal benefits is it's more just geographical within 100 miles because I think something in the area of maybe, you know, 20% of all federal employees are within 100 miles of this location between Virginia, Maryland, yeah. DC, Pennsylvania, and the like. So that that's kind of how those have developed over the years. A, a target-rich environment. Yeah, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Thank you for sharing that story. So I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. Um, you and your team were one of the uh, first advisors to join um, the integrated platform. And I know you came from a uh, independent broker dealer world. Um, mm-hmm. What was uh, what was one of the biggest catalysts for you guys wanting to kind of break away and, and, and have your own your own entity and, you know, and, and kind of your, 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 your breakaway to independence? Yeah, so we've we've broken away from two quote unquote um, independent broker dealers, and I feel like they were at very timely points in our uh, respective um, uh, history. The last time we broke away, almost six years ago now, it was because of uh, a, a culture change, and it was the 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 relationship part of the firm changing because of new ownership and sort of this force to adapt to different initiatives that we necessarily didn't like the direction thereof. Um, we loved our last broker dealer because of the, the colleagues and the peers that we had. We loved the management side of it. We were actively involved. Um, but when they were taken over, it, all of that kind of changed because the, the firm that acquired them was trying to do more acquisitions and it was just it was a change in culture change in dynamic and it wasn't something that we necessarily liked the direction thereof and it was a really tough decision to make because we knew we were leaving behind uh, a lot of friends um you know the time we left before then where i was right before 2008 financial crisis is actually one of the aig groups so that one just looked kind of timely six months later when when they had their their downturn but we left them because they flat out said when we were down there talking to them about why should we stay? They knew we were shopping, but why should we stay? And somebody in compliance basically said, it's not the broker dealer's job to help you build your business. So that was, you know, it's always been culture change that I think is why we have left previously. And, you know, we wanted to make sure that we had uh, a sense of autonomy when we moved because we always felt that was the best thing for our clients. You know, let me ask you this, Eric, you you brought up something really interesting, and that is culture. What steps did you take to enhance your own culture, to to start to create your own culture there at at Financial Foundations? So the benefit that we had is that when we left our last BD, it was a group of us that left together. So we were able to have those relationships already in place, and that gelling of those made us more accessible to one another and we could kind of live through the growing pains and not, I don't mean that growing pains as a negative as much as it was the newness of what we were dealing with. Um, The other thing that we did as well, and anybody who's kicking the tires on whether to go fully independent or hybrid or some variation thereof, is check out as many places as you can. And we we actually looked at three other broker dealers uh, that were similar to our, our last one. And we wanted to see how our idea, how our model would fit. Uh, what, 
of what we want to do going forward. But these places also had nice culture as well, but they wouldn't be able to allow us to shape what we wanted to shape. So to answer your question with, with all that backdrop, um, knowing that we have our own autonomy has allowed us to, as individual firms, uh, have a, a strong culture in just how we are personally. But then on the level of those of us who came over together, you know, there's still that that aspect of, you know, we remember what we liked about some of the older places and how do we go about making sure we don't lose some of those values? Because, you know, and the bottom line is that we're in a people business and we always hear about that when it comes to our clients, but we don't always talk about it when it comes to our team members who we spend, you know, in some cases, not my case, but in some cases, more time with them than our significant others. Uh, so that's, that's really important to all this. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. You mentioned something about, you know, your staff and some of the, the team members that kind of came over with you and the group that joined with, with integrated almost six years ago, six years ago in July 15th, to be exact. How did you decide on staffing? So we tried to be very strategic in that. Before making the decision to move, we had a had a group of people here that was great, got the job done. Uh, and the way we got a lot of our team members was through uh, a staffing company. I'm a big advocate of a staffing company because, you know, quite frankly, I feel like my time, your time is is too valuable to be uh, combing through resumes, making those preliminary discovery calls, then bringing those few candidates in for interviews. I would rather just have somebody else do the screening process. So a friend of mine who I was actually uh, introduced to years back as part of the Human Resource Association I was a part of has always known who I was as a person and could kind of filter out who would be a best fit for me culturally and personality wise. So I think it's really important for people to to, necess- to look into the staffing element and get to know them and they get an idea of you know what would be a good fit for you. So it was that entity that uh, it made introduction to Christine in our office, also Alyssa and a few other people over the years. Now, Alyssa came over after the, we we made the shift, but Christine and Mark were were both a part of that, and I knew Mark personally five years prior, and we knew that who they were as people was really important for our company because again the clients call in if they can't get in touch with me they have to know that the team that surrounds me cares about them so empathy is really important to anybody who's going to come into this uh, uh this office and also you know one of the things we say in every interview is that you got to be able to check your ego at the door you know don't be too proud to you know be focused on being right or your way or the highway or things like that it doesn't matter all that matters is to make sure that you, we are doing the best thing for our clients and it's okay to be wrong um, but intentionality goes a long way, but, you know, make sure that your ego doesn't get in the way of your own decision. So after we made the shift, uh, there were a couple people who didn't stay on. Um, some of that was by design, uh, but it wasn't just because it, we wanted to get rid of them. It's just because it, it wasn't a good fit going forward, or they were just helping us for the temporary load of the transition, because we all know that when you're making that jump, there's a lot of legwork with it. Yes. Yes, there is. How do you guys feel about or what experience have you had in terms of, you know, how your business and your personal lives are different now that you're running your own show and you're not having to, you know, answer to a, a corporate entity? So the, the fortunate thing about us is, um, you know, we because of our location, it's kind of small town oriented and uh, a couple of people have been part of that that larger group that that 
where it's just thousands of employees and they, they kind of get lost. It's not that they feel like a number in, in yeah. a way, um, but there might be a disconnect between the owners and the team members who, you know, are levels below that, you know, there, there might not be that personal touch. And I think what we do here, we, we try to make it so that it's, it, it is more the family approach. And again, going back to the accounting firm I was telling you about, um, that ownership group over there kind of helps me with different ideas on what I can do to, to bring that in. Um, you know, they, uh, one of the things before COVID hit, we would, we would do a lot of mutual activities together. We'd have our Christmas parties together, bring in a band, uh, uh, we're we're really close to Annapolis in our area, and so when, with the Naval Academy graduation, we'll rent a sailboat and all go out and watch uh, the Blue Angels flying over, and you know get some cocktails afterwards. So we do want to do the things and give That's you know amazing. give it's a payday of work, but we want to make sure that we're doing things to reward them for being a part of it. And you know, it's it's other things too. It's the it's the perks and benefits that they might not realize. We would try to make sure we we do what we can for the retirement side, the health insurance side, these benefits that they, they'll realize down the road really, really add up to their, you know, what's good for them overall. And yeah. it's just, it's not that you necessarily remind them of it. It's just one of those things where you want to make sure that you're taking care of them. And, you know, another uh, uh, saying my father used to give, and I use this with clients, with team members here at the office is if you help your brother uh, across the river, you find you're there too. So, yeah. you know, it's just, the the idea of just always being able to to help individuals whether it's they're, they're your staff they're your clients or family is you know just kind of really important to me as a person so we we try to just put that out however we can so who would you say is was was one of your biggest mentors do you mentor anyone and what does that mean to you so I would say the, the the three that have probably mentored me most in the professional space that have been have been my father, the, the son of the cousin who was in the business because he's right in between mine and dad's age, and then one of the owners of the accounting firm. And they all they all bring different elements to me as far as what I can grab from them. It's you know, dad's just very, very uh, straight and narrow as far as you know how to how to handle he's he's a salesperson, salesperson. You know, my my cousin, if you've ever read the book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, he's kind of that type of individual who's, you know, very relatable to a lot of other ones. And then the the accountant who we work with as well, he's, I don't want to say he's like the morality compass, but he's one of those where where you go to, if you're dealing with a tough employee thing where, okay, you've got, you got the rules and the lines of what you could or shouldn't do. Um, but then also there's the human factor element to it. And so, you know, those, those are probably the three that I look at as, as primary mentors for me, as far as me mentoring anybody hasn't happened. Um, it's not something I'm opposed to, but we've got some goals here that we want to accomplish first. That's going to allow me to free up my time, uh, because that is definitely something that would be important to me to do down the road. Is you know make sure that I'm can be somebody who can help others navigate this process because I've I've never been somebody who is selfish on inf information. Uh, you know I'll, I'll share whatever I can bring. Well. Thank you for, for sharing that. But I can, I can say you, you can consider this part of your first mentoring assignment by helping people understand the journey to independence. <laughs> Good to That's know. right. I had a quick question for you because it's one of the things that I hear a lot when I talk to people who are considering, you know, the jump to independence. If you think of like one of those old cavalry movies where they go charge and there's one guy that runs out and nobody follows him because that is the biggest fear is that their clients won't come. And, you know, what are they offering that's different? 
I know that you've done this a couple of times from different independent broker dealers and then and then over to the integrated platform. What would you what advice would you give to someone when it comes to transitioning their clients? To me, everything's about framing, Uh, frame the conversation in a way that is receptive to them. The clients might not and probably won't think about the negative things unless you choose to introduce them. So instead of you know, discussing what is what is wrong with where you are now and the moves on why you would make it, it, it just thinking about the negative aspect of anything, you're going to condition the person to go to that spot. So we framed it from the standpoint of, you know, we you can never tell that you're looking, or I'm sorry, you can't say that you're moving, you can't say where you're potentially going, but you can say that you are, you know, exploring. And the way we framed it was, we are trying to make sure that we can always put your uh, benefits first. You know, as fiduciaries, we need to make sure that we're looking out for your well-being. And quite frankly, we're seeing what's out there in the industry that's allowing us to do that. There is really no comeback that somebody can say that is going to, you know, put that in a negative light. They might ask you some some uh, intimate questions about it, whether it's cost structure changes and things like that. And if you can't answer it or shouldn't answer it, then you you just, again, it's about framing. You say, that's something that we've always been transparent on. We're making sure that the value add that we get and are able to pass on to you is something that is going to be uh, transparent and important to continue to meet your goals. So for us, we really weren't worried about that element of it because we're the ones with the relationship with the clients. And I know wirehouses and insurance firms are a little bit tighter and stricter on trying to retain the client, but the bottom line, if they like you and they trust you, they'll, they'll stay with you. And that's what it boils down to. So that was never really the concern for us. For us, the concern was what in making the jump, what kind of faith do we have around it? Because we know what we need to do for our clients, but then how can we make sure it it happens? Sometimes if it's a brand new startup, there's a little bit of blind faith involved. Um, but on other times you, you want to make sure that you you talk with the people who were there already about you know what they've gone through and what what they would do. And there's there's a list of things that somebody I think could do in preparation for that move. No, that's very insightful. I really appreciate it. It's really helpful to me and hopefully to our listeners to hear your process and how you went through it. And I really, I really like the framing aspect that you mentioned because I, I was taught a long time ago that if you're leaving a place, it's never about where you, you've left. It's about where you're going. Mm-hmm. And it's always positive because, you know, it, it, life is short and this industry is small. Um, and and you just you just the negativity just doesn't work. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't. truly doesn't. Yeah, and also to touch on that too, I would almost wonder if if some of the 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 larger wirehouses and the other big firms out there, I, I sometimes wonder if it's almost conditioned to make the advisor or the rep or the planner think that they can't leave and they won't be able to to take all their clients. And it's almost like they're convinced of that fear because in all the years, again, we've gone through multiple shifts and transitions and I've never come across an advisor who wasn't able to grab say the 80 most important people in the book. I mean, if any, if nothing else, it's a nice cleansing process because there are some clients you might've taken on that aren't a good fit for your practice anymore, who should be with a bigger firm and because you can't provide the service they deserve. And, you know, we've, we've had to have those discussions too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not a fit for everybody. 
So Eric, your business, Financial Foundations, you run a, a unique model, I think, and it's, it's a, sort of a hybrid model, if you will. And I was hoping that maybe you could elaborate for our listening audience on your, on your business model. So we're, we're kind of in a unique position in that respect. And that's a, another uh, reason to always make sure you have a good team around yourself. Because under the previous uh, locations we were at with the independent broker-dealers, everything was just sort of under one umbrella between the RIA side, the broker-dealer, the products thereof, the uh, third-party money managers, compliance, everything. Uh, but when we realized that the, the culture from our, our last independent broker-dealer wasn't going to be the match that we wanted going forward, we wanted to make sure that we took the time to figure out, okay, what are the things that we want to be able to control? Because when you move a block of business, there is so much paperwork and you got to make sure that everything is right in that respect. So, you know, with going with integrated as for the RAA side of it, and then the broker dealer that we're a part of uh, in, in their space, we wanted to be very specific on a couple of key things. And the first one was compliance and technology. If you have an advisor who's looking at kicking the tires on where they're going to go, to me, the compliance and technology culture point is really important. Uh, I don't want to read about my broker dealer or who's ever overseeing the RAA business in any newsfeed, unless it's positive, like they're getting more advisors or, you know, they're, they're being, you know, awarded different accolades in the space because of what they're doing. Right. I know other than that, I don't want to read about them. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was really important for us, but what it meant is extra work. It's two different compliance channels. It's two different types of technology that our, our, our team members need to know. And for what it's worth, it's multiple custodians, but we always felt that it would be easier to plug and play any one of those one things if it wasn't a good fit as, as, as opposed to moving an entire book again. So for example, if a custodian that we're with now is not exactly what we want when it comes to handling our client needs or our needs to service our clients, it's just maybe a transfer form and a new account application at a different custodian versus changing the, the uh, ADVs and the compliance docs and everything else. So while it could be, you know, segments of work down the road, it goes back to what I was saying about framing the conversation to your clients on the move. We want to make sure that we're in a better position to take care of the services you need us for. So while it does allow us a lot more flexibility, it does lead to a little bit more work. But I think it's one of those things where if you're ever questioned on what you're doing best for your clients, this is a great thing that you can outline as far as your business model. So it's it's not for everybody. There are different moving parts to it. And you know, it's really important to uh to have the the right team when going through this stuff. Thank you for sharing that with us, Eric. That's some great insight. As far as you know, maybe some advice that you would have for, for the listeners on actually making that move. Is there anything else you'd like to, to add to that? Yeah. So there's, there's a couple of key things that I think are important to making that as, as best as possible. Um, you know, if you need like a personal example that, you know, one thing that we have clients come in sometimes and, and they'll say, you know, we're, we're getting divorced, so on and so forth. And it's like, okay, there's, there's not a right way to do this, but there are definitely some wrong ways. So it's kind of like leaving a, a, you know, somebody else in the, a broker dealer in this space or a wirehouse, wherever you're coming from, there's not always a right way to do it, but there's definitely some wrong things you can do. So some things that'll help make this process a little bit better is I, I say, like, if you know, you've made the decision, it's going to be a a couple of months out in most cases at the very earliest, usually it's a little bit longer, but download your data. 
you know, go through, download, download everything you can that has to do with your compensation, your commissions, your fees, download as much client data they have. I know you're going to do that anyway as part of, you know, getting the paperwork squared away. And it's normally your CRMs would have that, but it doesn't hurt to pull what, what other people have if you can, if you're able to. Um, and then, um, you know, maybe some performance reports too. Uh, there's going to be some things that you might not have the same level of data to have, be able to connect dots for your clients. So whatever you can download legally from your existing broker dealer, and that fits within the, the rules and regulations, I would definitely do that. Uh, and read your contracts, read your contracts on the way out, find out what you are and are not entitled to as far as trails go, uh, things in that time period after you U5 to where you might end up. Uh, and then, and then finally, don't let it be a surprise. Um, you know, I've, I've found talking to some other practitioners that those who did not talk with the powers that be at the, at the previous location, you know, it was a little bit harder for them on, on the way out where some of the other ones, it was, you know, okay, if we know this is going to happen. We can at least save ourselves some aggravation frustration. Now, I do realize that there's some entities in the business that if you tell them or it makes it worse, but maybe there's, you know, maybe there's some elements that you can discuss along the, the guidelines of whether, you know, another advisor who you're a colleague with, a peer with, that might be able to, you know, grab onto some of your clients who you think would be a good fit if they don't come over. So that's important too, because whoever you don't end up getting, you know, that it's, it's fine, but see if there's any way you can control who they might end up with at the old spot. So don't necessarily let it be a surprise the whole way around. See if some of the relationships you've built over the years can help some of the clients who might not come back or come over with you. Very well said. I know that you had mentioned something about the elements of, you know, kind of the, the staff members that you have and, and, and ways that they can, you know, really, you know, help with these transitions. Would you like to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, so identify everybody's strengths in that transition and also, you know, talk to them as people too, as far as what's going to happen here. Prepare them for it being an, an overwhelming initiative. Sure. Um, you know, it, I remember when we did ours, we were, we were, we were pulling the, the 16 to 18 hour days, just trying to get everything moved over. And it's not like you would expect your, your team members to do that, but you want to make sure that for everything that you're asking them to do, you're right there in, in the mix with them and prepare them for it. Uh, so for us, we wanted to make sure that not only did they know what we expected of them, but we wanted to open dialogue throughout saying, are you getting overwhelmed? Is this a right, a good fit for you? Do we have to have you do some other element of the transition and just make sure that they're comfortable with it? Because again, in our model, especially this hybrid model, we are creating uh, a, a unique offering to the clients, adding more moving parts, and it gives us more flexibility as a firm to service clients, but they were also asking our team members to do a little bit more than what they might've been doing otherwise. So, you know, I think people, communication is really important to them. Having them be able to share their, their independent mindsets on what's, what the direction is. You, it's your vision, but they're, they're helping you get there. So making sure that they are a part of it and you let them know that is really, really important. So I think communicating that to your team members is going to be key in, in all elements of making a change, but then also when it's something new, 
they have to also be continuing to buy into this new norm because to them, it might just be chaos. It might just be disorganization where for you, you know what to expect. You've been through this before. You know the elements are in place. You don't want them to get feel overwhelmed. So communication is going to be key throughout the whole process. Well, it sounds like, you know, you have a great, uh, you are the great communicator in that, you know, well, I just noticed a theme in a lot of your answers where you're like, you know, hey, I want to talk to these people and I want to do that. So I'm sure that makes your clients very happy. I know from personal experience that communication between your financial advisor and, and the client is, is really key. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yep, I think you're exactly right. And, you know, uh, one thing that I didn't mention earlier, but I think it's important too, if, if they know that you're looking, tell them you're in the running. You know, treat me like you would be treating a new advisor. You're romancing me again, you know? Mm -hmm. th th this is a first date. Pretend we don't know each other. What is the value add you provide me? And again, you kind of have to be careful on where you are, what their rules are, so forth, on how you, you might have seen them deal with other things. But if you're able to do that, ask them to. Um, that's how we found out the first time we moved when the person in compliance said, it's not the broker dealer's job to help you build your business. Well, it's like, okay, well, growth is not here then. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's some great advice. I do. I think that's that's really good advice. And I'm um, I'm hoping that we've got listeners that, again, that that's going to resonate with because you have definitely touched on a lot of the you know, maybe insecurities or things that are preventing people from moving forward because they just, you, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And, you know, part of the, the whole educational process is really helping these people in the position of like looking to go independent is helping them overcome some of these obstacles. And I think you've done a great job today and, and hopefully helping alleviate some of those concerns that people have. I appreciate that. I'm always, always happy to talk, always happy to help. I mean, I, I know that, um, you know, it's, it's top of mind for a lot of advisors with the amount of turnover we see in the industry. So if there's any more, any more value I can lend on my own experiences, happy to do so. I always like to find out, you know, a little bit more about people, who they are. And I think that's very important, specifically in our industry where we're like you had said earlier, where it, it's, it's really a trust industry and, and people need to trust you. And so when I, when I think about it, I say, you know, who would I want to, and in this case, who would you want to sit down with and talk to, and they could be living or they could be dead, just someone who you would really like to sit down and pick their brain. Mm. It's a big one. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, I kind of kind of a history nut on on some of the stuff. And I think for me, it's hard to pick one person, but any one of Adams, Jefferson or Washington and just look mm -hmm. at them and give them a rundown of where we are today and, and say, are you cool with this? Yeah. Is this what you guys envisioned? <laughs> and I don't mean that from a good or a bad way. It's one of those situations where if you look at how these were some of the most brilliant men in our history, possibly world history, that came together and framed a new nation, never having done it before, trying to leave the, uh, the foundation there to be stable, to be equal and, and fair as much as possible at that time. And at the at same time, leave the openness there for future development and the changes of society. Mm -hmm. And looking back on it, it's, currently it's the longest running government model in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's still one that so many other nations take a piece of, and it's, it, if not plagiarize the whole thing. And also, <laughs> which is good, it's the best form of, of uh, it's the best compliment. But, you know, for me, it would be, 
I think that they would be genuinely pleased and maybe say so much as well, if it lasted a hundred years, it was a success, much less, you know, almost 250. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of where it would be. All three of those gentlemen for, for different reasons, whether it was for their political biases or non-political biases as, you know, Washington was in that, in that mix. But, um, yeah, that's, that's probably where I would go with that just cause I would want to know what they think of where we are. Yeah. No, it's, it's fascinating because the, the Constitution is not a long document. And to be able to be the ballast to the guide you know, post that, we're, that we've been able to run this country on for, for so long, it, it is truly amazing. Thank you so much for your time. And you know, thank you for, for being part of the Integrated Advisors Network, um, an integral part, almost a founding partner, if you will, to Integrated. So you know, your success, uh, we're fortunate that it, it translates to our success. So thank you for everything that you do for us as a company. And, and thank you for sharing your story and, and for sharing your insight. It, it's truly appreciated. My pleasure. I'm happy to help. And Financial Foundations, you can find out more about Eric and his practice at their website, financialfoundationsinc.com. And again, with that, we, we really thank you. We appreciate the, the listeners that tuned in today. And we look forward to having you listen to our next podcast. Thank you for listening. To find other tools and resources, I encourage you to visit our website at integratedadvisorsnetwork.com or feel free to give me a call at 855-729-4222 for specific questions or you can email me at lynda at integratedadvisorsnetwork.com. Please note that all conversations are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. Again, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with a colleague who might benefit from its content. This is Linda Picks, and I thank you for listening to Integrated Advisors Network podcast series, Journey to Independence.